Thank you, guys. Um, welcome. Welcome to Fellowship Church. Um, it's an honor to have you guys here today. If you're joining us online, we'd like to welcome you as well. Um, we are in a series looking at the books of Exodus, Leviticus, um, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We're looking at the story of the Exodus, of Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to the land of Canaan, which God had promised to them. The purpose of going through this is, one, it's just, it's in the Bible, um, going through this book by book, but also looking at how we, um, as sinful people, have been rescued from slavery to our sins by Christ. And we, like Israel, are on this, this exodus journey of moving to the place that God has for us from the place that we've been uh, in sin. And going through books of the Bible like this, sometimes it kind of forces you to teach on things that you might just normally skip over. Um, A lot of times you'll read the Bible and you'll think, that's not very spiritual, um, forgetting that you're reading about it in the Bible. And so today we've got this message that on the surface you might look at it and say, well, that's not real spiritual. Um, But it is. And if God places something in his word... Um, He wants us to pay attention to it. And so I want to talk to you today about the topic of being uh, delicatable. Ever heard that word before? Um, Delicatable. And there's this this popular game right now online, the New York Times spot called Wordle. And it's it's just simply five-letter words. And I'm glad it's not like ten-letter words like delicatable. I didn't count how many... There are there, if you want to write it out, count, let me know. Um, but I want to talk about being delegatable. How many of you, if you have kids that are still at home, raise your hand. If you've got kids at home, raise your hand real high. If your kids know how to walk, and if you're still doing the majority of your chores, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> okay? You've got to teach your kids how to be delegatable. And as moms and dads, you got to teach yourself how to delegate. I was uh, talking to some teenagers yesterday, and I actually asked them, like, do you know what the word delegate means? And they were like, we're not sure. And so we need to make that clear. Uh, To delegate is when you have a responsibility to make sure something gets done, and you have been given a team of people, i.e. your children, to do the work for you so that more can get done when you delegate others to join you in the work. They're not working for you. They're working together with you. That's what you tell your kids. Like, this is for everybody, guys. It's not just, it's not just for mom and dad. It's like you care about the trash being emptied. You care about the counters being clean. And so it is joining in with others or having people join in with you to get the work done. And so today we're going to look at um, one of really three passages of Scripture that really address this idea of delegation, and it's Exodus 18. We're going to read through um, most of it as it's pretty short, and then we're going to kind of talk about our point today. So Exodus 18, 1 through 4, it says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zephora, Moses' wife, After he had sent her home, along with her two sons, the name of the one of Moses' sons was Gershom, for Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, that's what his name means, and the name of the other, Eleazar, which means, 
the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So this is the first we've heard of Moses' father-in-law since Moses was making his trek back from Midian to Egypt to confront Pharaoh for the first time. This is the first we've heard of Moses' wife. It's the first we've heard of his son Gershom. Here we learn he has another son named Eleazar since Gershom nearly died because Moses hadn't circumcised him. And Zephorah, Moses' wife, saves his life by circumcising him as about a 40-year-old man um, and rescues Moses from death. That was a weird story, but it's in the scriptures as well. And so apparently we're filled in on what happens when Moses goes to confront Pharaoh. He sends his wife and his boys back home to Midian, likely to protect their very lives from Pharaoh and his forces. And here they are joining up again. And it's actually because they're somewhat close to Midian. And so they're, they're meeting up after Israel has been freed from slavery. And so Verse 5 through 12 says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, he said, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Listen to what he says. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Now I know uh, the Lord. Anytime we read the word the Lord in the Old Testament in this context, it is God's name that he reveals to Moses, Yahweh. He is saying, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods because in this affair, the gods of Egypt, the evil spiritual beings masquerading as gods, they dealt arrogantly with the people of Israel. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrificed to the one true God. And Aaron, Moses' brother, came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This culture, even the Near East culture today, is incredibly uh, hospitable. And if someone comes to visit you, you always prepare a meal for them, even if you might even consider them your enemy traditionally. And so here, these family members are reunited, and we can see that there's a peaceful relationship between Moses and Jethro. And Jethro shares in the celebration of Moses' success and the delivery of the people from Egypt And he comes to the realization, as was one of God's primary purposes for the exodus to begin with, that again, Yahweh was the God above all gods, that the Lord is God. And Jethro sees that God judged Egypt. God judged the false gods of Egypt. God rescued Israel from Egypt as his chosen people. 
And this realization of Jethro, it leads to some sort of a conversion experience to where now he is worshiping the one true God of all creation. And it culminates in, an, uh, in Jethro offering the sacrifice and then eating this dinner with Moses and Aaron and the elders of the people. I'm hungry thinking about it, especially about the bread part. Okay, verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another And I make them know the statutes of God and his law. How many of you enjoy yourself some uh, Judge Judy? How how amazing would it have been to have this reality TV show of Moses sitting court, settling disputes over who accidentally broke their goat's ankle? Do goats have ankles? I don't know. But it would have been a fascinating television show. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to Moses, what you are doing is not good. How many of you love it when your in-laws come over and say, you're not doing it right? What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone, Moses. This is a heavy load. Now obey my voice. How many of you like it when your mother or father-in-law tell you to obey them? It's wonderful. So obey my voice, his father-in-law says. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God. You're still going to be the man, Moses. You're still going to bring their cases to God. You're going to warn them about the statutes and the laws. You're going to make known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, Moses, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, Moses, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Everybody wins, Moses. So Moses listened. Jethro cared, and Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that his father-in-law had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, And they judged the people at all times, but any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided for themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. There's our passage for today. Doesn't seem super spiritual, but but everything we do is spiritual because we're integrated beings of matter and spirit. This is an issue that God uses Jethro to prophetically speak to Moses that he can't bear the weight alone. So Jethro gives the advice. Moses concedes, says, I'm in, I'll delegate. Jethro goes home. 
we don't actually know if Moses' wife went back with Jethro or if she made her way along this Exodus journey with Moses or not. It's even a little bit unclear about Moses' sons, what they do from this point forward. But this verse is a verse, a passage about delegation. If you remember last week, Moses had just had his brother Aaron and the other man, Hur, hold up his hands in prayer as the Israelites fought the battle beneath them. So God's using Jethro to show Moses that he needs some more people to help him in his duties. See, the the duty of leading Israel, it belonged to Moses. It was his responsibility. Moses ultimately and alone would have to stand before God about how he led this people, Israel. But even though it was his duty, his responsibility, he could not do it by himself. And the fact that it was Moses' duty and the fact that it was Moses' responsibility meant that Moses had more important things to do. He couldn't judge over whether or not someone kept too much manna the day before. He couldn't judge whether or not someone set their tent up in the wrong place. He had to focus and put his attention on more important things. And in fact, Jethro gives him a very prophetic sense of the things he was supposed to focus on in verse 20. Jethro tells Moses, you will warn them about what the statues and the laws are. You will make known to them the way they must walk and what they must do. Why this is interesting is because there was no law up to this point. The Ten Commandments had not been given. There there wasn't the hundreds of laws for Israel as a nation. But Jethro is being used by God to tell Moses, those laws are about to come. And in fact, the next couple weeks, that's what we're going to look at. Those laws are about to come. And when they come, you're going to have very important things to do. You need to be prepared. God's going to take you away from this people for a time so that he can give you the law. So Moses had to allow others to take on some of the weight that was his responsibility so that the overall weight could be carried and so that he could devote his time to that which is most important. You ever carried something heavy before? How many of you love to help people move? Um, Helping people move is wonderful. And it it is something that if you are in your 20s and 30s, and if if you are a a man, you're just going to get asked to help people move a lot. And you just got to be delegatable. You got to be ready to load up that U-Haul in a moment's notice and pray that the people you're helping don't have a piano to move. Um, I was helping my brother-in-law move a couple of years ago, and my nephew and I moved what I think was the heaviest couch um, I've ever lifted in my life. And they didn't even use it when it got to the new place. I think they just, like, got rid of it. And like, why do we even move it? That thing weighed, like, 400 pounds, and we had to go around several little corners. It was awful. And so there's an age in your life where you don't want to help people lift stuff. Uh, and I, I can speak... For, for boys, when you're about up to about age 12 to 13, you're like, nah, I'd rather not help. But then when, you, when, when puberty starts kicking and, and girls are watching, you're like, not only do I want to help, I want to show how much I can lift by myself. And, and, and you just have to watch boys figure this out. And, and we can talk about church world here. In church world, the thing that you got to carry is chairs. Got to carry chairs. And so boys would be like, look at me, 
carry five chairs and oh, on my back. Too soon. And um, you might throw out your back lifting up these chairs, and then as they get a little older, they realize that if you have someone else help you, it might look more impressive if you're the one carrying the five chairs. But if others can help, you can carry twice as many chairs in the same amount of time. You don't have to show off, guys. It's all right. Ladies are just as impressed with teamwork as they are with muscle. Right, ladies? <clears throat> Maybe not. Keep, up, keep it up. Your back's going to be out. You'll be of no use to her. Um, here are some reasons why people don't delegate. Reasons why people don't delegate. And I'd like you look at this list. See if this is you. Um, if I want something done right, I'll do it myself. I don't delegate because, you see, every time I've ever delegated to someone else, they don't do as good of a job as I do. Well, you're pretty arrogant, aren't you? If I want something right, I'll do it myself. Now, for a season, this is true. Number two, I'm the only one who can do it. I'm the only one who's trained. I'm the only one with the skill. I'm the only one that knows how to do it. And so I can't delegate to anybody else because no one else knows how to do that. Uh, number three, this is usually the reason people don't delegate. Deep down, I want total control. I want control of the situation, so I don't want to delegate because if I give someone else the opportunity to do it, then I lose control. That's kind of the point. Number four, this is, the, this is like the humble answer that really kind of has some negative undertones to it. It's just like, I don't want to burden anybody else. And when you say, like, I just don't want to be a burden, what you're actually saying is, look how humble I am. Look how amazing I am. I don't want to burden anybody else, but look at me pack these six chairs of arrogance. <laughs> Next, this is, a, this is a valid one. This is my responsibility. I'm supposed to do it. I, I don't really want to burden other people. I'm the one that, that has the job. I don't want to do this. I, I'm just being faithful to what God's given me. This one is, oh, too, too harsh and real. It's too hard to delegate. It's too much work to delegate. It's actually easier to do it myself. It's not, I'm not worried about it getting just done right. It's just easier if I'm the one that does it. And then the last one, if you're a leader, sometimes you'll find this, is literally people only want you. They only want to talk to the manager. They only want to talk to the one person who they think has the responsibility or the control. And so it's very hard for you to delegate because people just come to you anyways. And so why wasn't Moses delegating? Is Moses arrogant? Is he just like, oh, if I want something done right, i got to do it myself? He was several times, but this is not what's going on here. There's two possibilities. Either Moses was clueless about delegation. He didn't know that he could. Or his intentions to not delegate, it, it just seems that they were actually pure. And the reason we know that is because when Jethro is like, hello, son-in-law, you should delegate. Moses actually listens humbly. And he does delegate to these people that he appoints. But the issue with delegation is that delegation, it means that you have to train someone to do what you do. And for a season, to train someone will actually be more work for you. But if you stick with it and if you're faithful to it, someday it'll actually be less work for you. And more work will actually get done. Delegation takes instruction. You can't expect someone to do what you do unless you instruct them on how to do it. And delegation really takes trust. 
trust that if I let someone else do it, it will get done, but risk that if you trust someone else to do it, it might not get done, and it still has to be okay, and then you've got to step in and do it. It takes trust. To delegate means you leave room for error. You can't delegate something to someone and watch them fail and then come down hard on them. You need to actually let them fail. You need to give them permission to make error, and when that happens, then you have to correct them. Delegation takes correction, loving correction. Hey, I'm glad that I was able to delegate this. I'm glad you gave it your all. It still sucks. Let's put a little bit more work into it. Next, this, one's, this one is going to hurt. Delegation takes the possibility of someone else doing the work better than you do it. That's why some of you don't do it. If I let her do it, she might actually do better than me. People might start looking to him or to her instead of me, and so I I better keep this myself. Real great leaders are okay with people doing stuff better than them because by people around them that do better than them in something, that means the team is evened out and that there's a lot of people carrying the weight. You just happen to be the leader. Last, um, eventually delegation takes passing the baton of delegating. I mean, someday you have to pass the baton and say, okay, I've delegated you for a long time now. Now, now you are the delegator, and everyone else will be delegate, delegatable, and I will just stand back and watch you delegate um, because that's what leadership transition looks like. So it's hard work, delegation is, but delegation is rewarding. More can be accomplished under your leadership by delegating than if you were to do it alone. And this principle that Jethro gives to Moses, it's carried out immediately in the New Testament church in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, this is about 1,400 years after this story with Moses and Jethro. It says in verse 1, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, there was about 20,000 Christians in Jerusalem at this time. In these days when the disciples were increasing massively in number, A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Um, Basically, Jew and Gentile. The, The Gentile Christians, people who were not Jewish Christians, were saying, hey, the Jewish Christians are getting more attention than we are. We're in need of some help as well. And the 12 apostles... They summoned the full number of the disciples. So they have this big church meeting, and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They're bringing all these issues to us. We're supposed to be preaching. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles, with this spirit-empowered awareness, they understand what their primary responsibilities are, and they say specifically what they are. Their responsibilities at that time in history was preaching the word and prayer. And this idea of delegating within the church would be developed just a short few decades later by the apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 12. Paul says God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So there are, there are leaders that God puts in churches, in, in this case that we're reading about here, and it's not the job of the leader to do all the work. Instead, it's actually the job of the leader to equip people to do the work, to equip people to do the work of a ministry. And if a pastor of a church were to do all the work of the ministry, no ministry would actually get done because it's always meant to be carried and lived out by and breathed by the entire body as a whole. You see, the duty and responsibility of carrying the weight of the church, it was on the apostles at that time. But because it was their duty, they had more important things to do than what they said, wait tables. Now, you might think, oh, well, the apostles thought that they were better than waiting tables. They thought they were too good to distribute food to widows. And I can just say that's not the case. Waiting tables was not beneath them at all. It was far from being beneath them. They'd been doing it a long time. And they would probably, I, I can speak from a viewpoint of a leader, they probably would rather serve tables than have such responsibility and the hazards that come with it. You might say, what kind of hazards did the apostles have? Well, being crucified upside down, for one, being torn in two, um, being the one with the biggest target on their back. They probably would have rather served tables. They just knew that their time needed to be spent on the things that were their highest priority. So they delegated the ministry of the church to others who could help bear the load. And did people mess up? Yes. Did the apostles mess up? Yes. Was there room for error? Yes. Was there the grace of God on their lives when they did mess up? Yes. Was there the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to give it a shot again? Yes. And because of delegation, you and I are here today because the apostles recognized we've got to focus on some stuff. And that stuff ended up being like, let's write the Bible. And let's get this word out to everyone. And we are now sitting on the shoulders of the apostles who were willing to delegate to people like you and I. So every leader, every mom, every dad, every coach, every project manager, every boss, every employer, every pastor needs to delegate. What do you need to delegate so that you can put your best foot forward? What do you need to delegate so you can put your best energy and your best time into the things that you are best at and called to do? What steps can you take to delegate? Who can you train up? Who can you give opportunity to so that one day they can lead as well. What do you need to do? Well, every leader I know actually wants to delegate. They might struggle with the list of reasons to not delegate, but it's kind of easy to say, let's just preach on the fact that you need to delegate. But, but if you had like five people who would clean your house for you, you wouldn't complain. You'd be like, oh no, I'd, I'd like to delegate. If you want five people to clean your house, have five more kids. Just keep them working. It's terrible, I know. They get paid for it, though. Um, so so what, it's not just this idea of like, hey, you need to delegate. But I honestly don't know many leaders who don't want to delegate. I don't, many, don't know many leaders who aren't willing to delegate. Why is that? Many leaders can't find people to delegate to. 
or ones who meet the criteria needed to be delicatable. Jethro told Moses to look for able men from all the people. Jethro told Moses to look for men who feared God. Jethro told Moses to look for men who were trustworthy. That's huge. Jethro told Moses to look for men who hate a bribe. The apostles appointed people who were men of good repute, good reputation, who were full of the spirit of wisdom. And so when I'm looking for someone to delegate something to, I'm looking to see if they are delegatable. Are they literally able to do the job? And if they're not, you might give them an opportunity, but you've got to find someone who's able, who can do the job. And the most important thing of all I have to ask myself if I want to delegate as a leader is, can I trust them? Here's a little secret. You, you can't guarantee the future. Even people you trust can end up being untrustworthy. But you have to give trust. You have to give it. So can you trust them? When looking to delegate within the church, leadership in particular, I'm looking to see if people are delegatable. Are they able? Can they handle the load? Can they handle the stress? Most important thing I'm looking for, can they delegate? Because if they can't delegate, they can't lead. Can I trust that the project will get done? Do they fear God? Does their life bear the fruit of the Spirit? Do they hate a bribe? Are they doing this for money? Are they doing this for recognition? Are they doing this to relive their glory days? Because if they are, delegating is not for them. Do they have a good reputation? Will others follow them and trust them and respect them? It doesn't mean you can't overcome a bad reputation, but it means that if your reputation is currently bad, it's hard to delegate to someone in that position. Do they have the Spirit of God within them? Because they're going to need His power. They're going to need his discernment, and they're really going to need his wisdom. So if you aspire to delegate, I I literally been in ministry for quite a while, and and about every couple years, someone will come into the church and be like, Pastor, I'm your next next associate pastor. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. What's your name? Okay. Um, If you aspire to delegate, make yourself delegatable you want to delegate, you have to make yourself available. Oh, you want to be the next CEO at the company? Are you willing to clean the toilet? You, you want to be the shift manager, but are, are you willing to put the fries in the grease? You, you want to be the head salesperson, but you never made a sale before? You, you learned in school how to sell, but you've never sold? You went to six years of seminary, and you know a lot about the Bible, but never have served in a church? No, you've got to learn to be delegable. If you want to delegate, you've got to be faithful with the little you have if you ever want to experience much. And this is such a concern for people who grow up entitled, thinking that they can just step into the next thing when they've never put in the work to get there. And somehow, younger generations have failed to have been taught that getting to a place of success takes a crazy amount of work. You're probably not going to be the next YouTube millionaire. You need to put in the work in places that can actually generate 
the ability to sustain yourself. The story of the ten talents, Jesus tells this, this story about a master who, who he leaves, and he leaves his servants with five and two and one talents of money, and he comes back, and two of the guys doubled the money, and the master said to the guy who doubled the money, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Here's the application. There are people in your life. There are Moseses in your life who need delegable people to accomplish the work. There are Moseses all around you at work, at school, in your community, in your sports. There are Moseses that need people like you to delegate to so that they can accomplish the work. You see, God uses us to accomplish his work. God delegates. He doesn't have to. It would be way better and way easier if God did everything himself. But that's not how God does it. God uses imperfect people like you and I to do his work when he doesn't even need us. And it's because it's a privilege to be used by God. It's an honor to be used by God. God wants us to be a part of his team, and and biblically, he wants us to be a part of his family. Sons and daughters of God doing the work of their father because they're a part of the family, and it brings the father honor and joy, and it brings the sons and daughters fulfillment and purpose and joy when they take part in the work of the house. God uses us, and he uses us by having Moseses use us through delegation to accomplish his work. And in the body of Christ, each person plays a part in accomplishing God's purpose for his church. And if you aren't delegatable, the church doesn't flourish as God intends. And here's here's the biggest reason people typically aren't willing to be delegatable. They think this with good intentions. Hey, I'd love to do this. Thank God I know someone else will if I won't. Someone else will do it if I won't. And if you've ever heard a need in your community, if you've ever heard a need in your workplace, if you've ever heard a need in your school, if you've ever heard a need in your church, on your team, and you thought to yourself, someone else will do it. Here's what I've learned as a delegator. If someone else will do it, no one else does. Someone else will do it, no one else does. You're someone When you say to yourself, someone else will do it, ask yourself, could I be that someone to do it? Because I might be the one that this Moses needs right now to delegate to. And if I can be faithful with a little, then maybe someday I can delegate and I can be given more to steward over myself. Someone else will do it, then no one else really does. And you'll miss out on the blessing of being a part. Jesus said that the harvest was plentiful. There's there's plenty of wheat to harvest. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
And if you're not careful, you'll misread that verse. Because you might think for a minute, my job is to pray for laborers. <laughs> because, because the person out there doing the farming is working real hard. So if I can just stay at home and pray for laborers, yes, God's going to send them where God is actually trying to send you when you pray for laborers. God, would you send someone to help Moses? Yes, I'll send you. But God, you told me to pray for laborers. Yeah, and you're praying for yourself. And here's something I've learned about praying. You can pray while you're laboring. And you can labor while you're praying. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. You can pray real earnestly when you're plowing the field. You can pray real earnestly. God, here I am serving. Bring more people to help serve. You can't pray for laborers if we ourselves aren't doing the work of the harvest. So I know this doesn't seem like, wow, I, I'm not leaving real encouraged today. Um, we just saying I'm going to see a victory. Now, laborers? But it, it, it's part of God's plan. There are people who are depending on you to come alongside them, to help them, to serve them. There are Moseses that God has put in positions of leadership in all sorts of spheres of influence that you are in. Maybe you are that Moses. Maybe you're in this position of leadership, and God's just using this passage from his word to encourage you. Hey, man. Hey, lady. You need to start delegating. Let young people flourish and rise up to the level that you are. Help people get to where you have been through hard work. Give people an opportunity. But most of us are just waiting to be delegated. So when someone asks you, like, can you help me move? Don't think to yourself for a moment, I'm way beneath helping someone move. Why didn't they ask me to be the interior decorator of their new house? Because they didn't ask you to. They need help moving. So look for ways, not just to delegate, but look for ways to be delegatable. And in the kingdom of God, I, I just hit home on this thing one more time, just try and make it to what you think is going to be a little bit more spiritual. Again, God doesn't need you. We need God. God does not need us, but God chose us. And when Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. Those 120 Christians didn't say, meh, that's beneath us. Or, Jesus, why don't you just do it yourself? Instead, they were honored to be asked. They were honored to be filled with the Spirit. They were honored to be used. They were empowered to be used, and they were honored to be empowered to be used. And because of them being willing to obey Jesus Christ and his great commission, again, you and I are here today. And they didn't wait around and say, someone else will do it, because the someone else were people that were persecuting them and trying to kill them. They had to choose. If, if we want a different future, if we want a different outcome, if we want to see God's kingdom done on earth as it is in heaven, then, then we have to be willing to go. We have to be willing to do. We have to be willing to serve. We have to be willing to be used. And if God ever puts us in a position 
of leadership, then I know that will be hard too. But I will keep delegating and give other people the opportunity to be where I am today because we have to raise up the next generation. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for um, your word. And, Lord, sometimes we read through passages that, that don't seem uh, super religious, super spiritual, super encouraging. But, God, it's, it's in your word, and we need to look at it. We need to uh, ingest it. We need to digest it. We need to put it to work. Um, God, if there is someone here in a position of leadership that has held on to something that you want them to let go of, I pray that you would lovingly, with your kindness, um, lead them to repentance and to start using and empowering and enabling others to join them in the work. God, if there are people who have been given opportunity to serve wherever that place may be, for whatever cause that may be, but if they've held off in doing it because of whatever our excuses are, God, I pray that you'd remind them that you're calling them to be faithful with something be faithful with, with a little. God, not, this is not about church ministry. This is just about serving. It's about serving where we're called to serve. And so, God, I pray others who are not yet being delegated would humble themselves and allow themselves to become uh, delegatable. God, if we're not trustworthy, make us trustworthy. God, if we've run from our, our bad reputation and have done nothing to repair it, help us to know where we need to work. God, if we're not able to do something, show us what we're able to do. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just so there's no distraction, um, I just sense that, that there's some of you that are wrestling with this idea because you actually, you don't have a problem with being used by God in and of itself, but you don't think you can be used by God. Because, you, man, I already missed that boat. I, I was called to be used by God, but then, then I messed up. Now I'm kind of tainted, and I can't do it anymore. You know, that, that thing I did, that divorce I went through, the charge on my record, it makes it so I can't. I, I'm not delegatable anymore. That's not true. Scripture says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Bible says God the Father made God the Son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So if you are in Christ, if you trust in Christ, if you follow Christ, then you are righteous, you're forgiven. There isn't condemnation on you. And so you can, by the power of the Holy Spirit and in boasting in Jesus Christ, you can walk with your head held high with a spring in your step because you have the joy of the Lord that's your strength and your past isn't dragging you behind because Jesus has cut off that rope which tied you to your past so that you can move forward into a life of service that God has for you. And as you serve and as you're faithful with a little God wants to bless you with much. 
Some of you are missing out on the blessings of God because you're allowing your own past to hold you back from stepping into your destiny when God's saying, hey, I cut that loose already. You're weighing yourself down. It's time to hold your head up high. Keep moving. God's call doesn't end for your life when you mess up. Your mess up might make God's call on your life even more powerful. You've got a greater story to tell. You've got more glory to give to him because he, he stepped in and rescued you from that story. So if you'd say, hey, Pastor, I, it's all interesting, but I, I just not right with God. I, I don't have relationship with God. I want you to know God wants relationship with you. There, there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you any less. He loved you so much, he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him, that's Jesus, won't perish, but have everlasting life. So scripture says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so receiving God as our father, becoming a son or a daughter of God, being forgiven of sins, being a Christian, if you will, finding salvation in Jesus. It's, it's not about fixing your mistakes. It's about the line in that song we sang earlier that even the worst of my mistakes are miracles in the making because God forgives sin and God alone does it and God makes you righteous and he alone does it and there's no amount of work you could ever do to make yourself right. The ultimate work was done for you to make you right with God and that was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you don't have your life figured out, the answers to all your questions, your stuff in order, God's not concerned about that. He's concerned about your faith, your trust in him. And when you trust in him, the other stuff takes care of itself and you're empowered by the spirit to start following and living for Jesus and putting to death your old ways. And if you'd say, Pastor, I, I, I've never given my life to Jesus like that. Well, no one looking around, would you just raise your hand as high as you can? Say, hey, that's me. Would you pray for me and put your hand right back down? Say, I, I today want Jesus. I choose him. I need him. I want to enter into relationship with Christ. Anybody who's watching online, if you say, I, today I'm choosing, I'm starting relationship with Jesus, send us a message, let us know. For those who say, hey, I, I, I've got a relationship with God, but man, you're right, I have been let, letting my past, who I think I am, stop me from being in the service of God. And I want to be delegable again. I just invite you, step in. Whatever God convicts you or puts on your heart to do, do it. Take the step. Move forward. And if you gave your life to Jesus today, or if you've given your life to Christ, I'd encourage you to take the next step in your faith, which is uh, water baptism. Water baptism is a way to show that you're dead to your old self as you go under the water, just as Jesus died and was buried. And when you come up out of the water, just as Jesus rose from the grave, you raise to new life with Christ having your sins washed away and your life now belonging to Christ. And I just bring that up because next weekend uh, we're having baptism during this service at 10 a.m. And if you'd like to take that next step in your faith, be baptized in water. We have several that will be next weekend. Um, you can go onto our app, just simply FC Online, and register to be baptized and would love to celebrate with you. Um, we'll be doing it next week and then again at Easter. So let me pray. Uh, Casey's going to lead us in one final song.
Uh, Carol will come up and dismiss us here in a moment. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for this time of recommitment, rededication to you. Use us, God. Humble us. In Jesus' name, amen.